Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a good football show. I am Patrick Darty. We have another extremely special episode today with the man who made Roto World and NBC Sports Edge what it is today, Evan Silva, joining myself, Denny Carter, and John Daigle. Evan, how are you? And is Daigle paying his room and board? <laughs> no, he um he he cooks. Well, he hasn't started cooking yet, but he's a good cook and he cooks like healthy things. So that's how he how he pays his rent. But um, no, it's good to be with you guys and uh, you guys, you know, carrying the torch at uh, NBC. Well, I, I still call it Roto World. But, you know, um, that's that's muscle memory. You get a pass. Right. Yeah. Uh, I believe you started. Is, with is, is that a point of, of contention yet? No, I mean, call it Roto World. I mean, we, no? we, we're all just geniuses. So we just call it NBC Sports Edge every yeah. time. Don't ever forget. <laughs> I, I've and never heard of Roto World personally. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Denny was fired for saying Roto World in the last podcast. <laughs> and, uh, but no, yeah, I mean, it's it's a transition period, but we're getting, we're we're edgers now, we're edgies. But you will be forever Roto World because, uh, yeah. yeah, you basically uh, built the site. Um, and we, we really we really appreciate that since we all have jobs here now. Yes, thank you. So real quick, does Deggle like, uh, so he cooks, is that it? Does he have to buy like toilet paper? Uh, ever take your daughter to school? He'll, he'll do the dishes every once in, every couple weeks. I- <laughs> We're, we're, we're not in our regular season routine yet. Yeah. We're like we're both staying up late. Uh, right. He's finishing up his team previews at establish the run, whereas you know ours are done, and it's just sporadic content and podcast right now. So like I'm still getting healthy sleep. Like I'm going to bed at ten or ten thirty while he yep. still stays up writing. But when the regular season comes around, we know that's not possible. So I'll be up until two or three in the morning again. We'll do a three hour sleep shifts basically, and then uh, we'll get up and hate our personal lives again. Yeah, so, uh, Evan, good submission. You're you're uh, you're famous for writing at night, correct? This is this is all I've heard is that you just write throughout the night, right? I mean. I don't know. I, does, it, does it go that late? Maybe till like three or four every once in a while. I mean, well, I mean that's late. Yeah. yeah. It depends. It, it, well, nowadays it depends if there's a soccer or tennis match to bet live. That's yeah, that's or, what or it Aussie comes rules. down to. Aussie or, rules. or waking up at three thirty in the morning to see live betting Aussie rules football as I'm trying to go to the bathroom. Yeah, that'll happen too. Hey, CFL yeah. CFL starts this week. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Uh, don't yeah. don't tell him that. Don't do not tell him that. Hall of Fame game on Thursday. Though. I mean, oh things are starting Lord. to get real, man. Things oh are starting to get Lord. real. What's the line for the Hall of Fame game? Uh, let's just do I've an in-depth breakdown of the Hall of Fame game. Let's not and say we did. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. 
Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Uh, who is it? Is it the Steelers and the Cowboys? I feel like it's the Steelers and Cowboys every year. I'm just Rico Dowdle night, baby. Rico Dowdle. Remember that name. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. Uh, the, the Cowboys aren't even taking, uh, you know, Gallup, Dak, all these guys have already been ruled out. So, like, they're not even traveling. Uh, the whole team, this, the whole, it's all 90 players for the game are going to be Ben DiNucci. It's just the Nooch playing every position for 60 <laughs> minutes. And it's going to be a roaring good time. Man, that start was game. brutal last year. You remember that? That was oh, real yes. bad. I know, but like all the worst moments. Kendall Hinton or Ben DiNucci? I was going to say, that was the plan. I was make <laughs> all the worst moments of football in 2020 at least gave us memes. Like we'll remember Kendall Hinton forever. Forever. We'll remember well, the Nooch forever. We'll remember Nate Sudfeld forever. DiNucci was a submarine pitcher out there trying to play quarterback. Like it was incredible. <laughs> You want a turf missile. That's how you make the most of those Cowboys weapons is just throw it as low as you can to the ground. Don't put it up in the air and let anyone try to make a play. We want these low, low passes. It's probably a good time to just transition to the real show. We have a lot to get to today, Evan. But one of the main things I wanted to talk to you about was kind of like your guys for 2021. I can't. I couldn't think of like a good branding word for it. I'm going to say your flagship players, tentpole players for someone else. And some people – uh, pushed back against the word tent pole. Um, oh, so I'm not sure if we'll do that. You know, Evan, you're never afraid to go outside consensus. Uh, probably a lot of times your arguments are so persuasive that you create the consensus though. Uh, and this kind of happened last year with Josh Allen and uh, you were uh, big, right? Very, very right about that one. And so we'll start the show at quarterback. Do you have a flagship quarterback for 2021? And if so, who is it? Yeah, I think I'm starting to really, really like Trevor Lawrence, actually. Um, his ADP is around quarterback 14, quarterback 15 right now, and I moved him up to quarterback 12 recently. You know, just in terms of, you know, just isolating the late-round quarterbacks, this is the guy, because I think that he's a legitimate dual threat. Uh, he averaged almost 25 rushing yards per start at Clemson. I think he's going to come in and elevate guys like DJ Shark, LaVisca Chenault, Marvin Jones – the great Tim Tebow and <laughs> Daryl Bevel, the Jaguars new OC. I thought he did a really good job maximizing the talents of the offenses that he had in Seattle uh, when Russell Wilson was uh, earlier in his career than Matthew Stafford uh, in Detroit. When Matthew, when Daryl Bevel became the Lions offensive coordinator, they you know they went from under Jim Bob Cooter throwing the you know uh, basing their basing their offense around a slot receiver and Golden Tate and, and a slot back and Theo Riddick to actually throwing the ball downfield with Matthew Stafford and, and Kenny Galladay. And uh, one of the reasons that I like Trevor Lawrence as a late round quarterback pick is because you're going to be able to, when you draft them, you're going to be able to stream him for a while. He's going to be a great play against the Texans in week one. In, against the Cardinals in week three, I think it'll be a solid play. Against the Bengals in week four, I think that could be a sneaky shootout, like bad team shootout between the Jaguars and the Bengals in week four, and then a great play against the Titans. Titans are going to want to have, have one of the worst pass defenses in football again in week five. Um, so I think the Jaguars actually might start. I even bet them seven to one to win the AFC South. Um, and I think that Trevor Lawrence is going to be an immediate difference maker. I also like Lawrence because as Silva cites his rushing yards from college, uh, he's done this forever. He knows that's typically sticky with quarterbacks transitioning into the league. But also he goes just behind that range of players he can actually usurp, like Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, guys who don't use their legs. Thus, they can easily be cut from underneath by rushing quarterbacks. And uh, just the fact that even Brady last year, how good he was, think the back how good he was, and still finished just 12th in fantasy points per game because his rushing floor is zilch. So uh, to grab a guy like that or Fields, let's say, if he gets 15 or 16 games, yeah, that, that's kind of where you're going at in the late-round selections, and Lawrence is right there. Denny, are you confident the rushing will be sticky with Lawrence, or are they going to try to, like, protect it? You put, a lot of times the rookies, they get put in, like, right. with, like the, the bubble wrap. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Urban Meyer, you know, it's like Urban Meyer, like, he's already gotten canceled, like, five times. Does he want to try to get Trevor <laughs> Lawrence hurt? Yeah, right. I think that the team would like it not to be sticky, the rushing prowess. I, I think that, you know, as he gets adjusted to the league, 
And because he is, you know, athletic, he is going to run. So, you know, if, if, and he had a, he had a nose for the end zone, by the way, uh, in, on his somewhat limited rushing attempts in college at Clemson. So I, I, I get him as a, as a late round target. I just don't know if we're all mentally prepared for the goal line package in which Trevor Lawrence uh, lines up at tight end and Tim Tebow is behind is under center. You know, just, I don't know if we're, we're ready. I've for never been more triggered in my life thinking of Taysom, <laughs> Tim Tebow, yeah. Yeah. uh, going to be, by the way, Evan, you mentioned like having faith in Daryl Bevel. So do we, will Daryl Bevel be the play caller you think, or is this gonna be like a Pat Shermer, yeah. Chip Kelly no, they type already, situation? They, they already said it. But... I know they said it, but like, do we really believe that? I, mean, Urban I, I think that Urban Meyer is like a CEO sort of coach and, um, you'll definitely have a lot of input in the di- design of the offense. I mean, they're they're built to play really spread offense. I mean, they they go a little bit deep at receiver. They've also got Colin Johnson, big big target, and I, I think that they could play a, a lot of three and, and even four receiver sets this year because they don't really have a whole lot of tight end. They just got blockers and then whatever Tebow is. At all of their current ADPs, do you have a favorite? Like, do you like waiting for Marvin Jones? Do you like beating the pack to DJ Shark? Uh, do you like grabbing LaVisca at his current spot? What about those guys? I don't know. I think I'm just going to take Trevor Lawrence. Okay, yeah. that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I know, that. because it's, it's a difficult question to answer. Yeah. Um, I started the offseason, I was thinking that I, I might try to be real high on DJ Shark. Yeah. But, you know, just haven't gotten the greatest vibes, uh, you know, about him. So far, have moved him down a little bit. The vibes have been good on, on LaVisca Chenault, I think. I think that where he goes in the middle rounds is is appropriate. And then I do think that Marvin Jones is, you know, not a not a bad late-round pick at all. I was listening to uh, Matt Harmon's podcast on Establish the Run, and, uh, you know, he was like, he wouldn't be surprised if Marvin Jones led the team in receiving. He can still play. DJ Shark, how Urban Meyer described him was, a big receiver that played small last year. And um, Matt Harmon was like, yeah, that's exactly what he was. So uh, I, I don't know. You know, I, I, it's, it's, I think it's tough to pinpoint exactly who's going to come out. I think that they might just spread the ball around quite a bit. Actually, that's what they did at, at you know, at, at Ohio State under mm-hmm. Urban Meyer. They didn't necessarily force feed a guy targets. You know, they all played different roles. Paris Campbell was the drag route receiver. You know, um, Terry McLaurin was the pure vertical threat. I was ready to be in on Shark too, uh, yeah. going into going into the offseason. Uh, his peripheral numbers last year were were good, were solid. Uh, air yards, uh, you know, target share, everything was was in line with what you want to see. But that that comment from Urban Meyer yeah. that, that freaked me out. I mean that that got me well off of DJ Shark at his ADP. And every, every time you read reports as well, uh, Urban Meyer is staying after practice with DJ Shark, and I have no idea if that's good or bad. I just know they continue working one-on-one together. Yeah, it's, it doesn't seem great. And uh, But there was also the threats from the LaVisca truthers who were egging my house at the time, so I had to get off of DJ Shark. Those comments, the classic thing that could go either way. It could be, be the, like Urban immediately honed in on DJ Shark. is like, I love this guy. I'm going to make DJ Shark a superstar. Or it could be like he's a five-star recruit who had 170 receiving yards his freshman year at Ohio State. And Urban's like, you know, talking to the friendly Columbus press, like, I don't know what to do with this guy. Uh, (laughs) You guys figure it out. And, uh, yeah, it could go either way with those DJ Shark comments. Uh, Along those lines, Evan, I mean, so Trevor Lawrence is – he's a late-ish round QB. I was going to ask you if you had – a late round QB find yourself targeting the most, but just, uh, just Trevor Lawrence, or do we have anyone even, even later down the board um, that you find yourself ending up with frequently? Yeah, I would say probably Tua. Oh, if we're talking about in the quarterback 20 range, because the dolphins, I think have done a really comprehensive job of building his supporting cast from Will Fuller and Devonte Parker and Jalen Waddle and Mike Jasicki as pass catchers. They, they even go deeper than that. They've got Lim Bowden, and, um, you know, Albert Wilson. So, like, if one of those guys, those frontline guys goes down, then, I mean, they have a capable NFL player, you know, ready to jump right in. You know, there's not going to be a, a big cliff drop in the three-receiver set if one of those guys gets hurt. Liam Eichenberg, I thought, was a great draft pick, uh, second-round pick to uh, help uh, bolster the offensive line. Uh, Austin Jackson and Robert Hunt are second-year guys on the offensive line that should make big steps after, you know, fairly promising rookie years 
the, the Dolphins have just invested a ton of draft picks and money into building a foundation for their quarterback. And now, and that guy's Tua now. And I think that he was put in a very adverse circumstances last year coming off, you know, a, a hip injury that people compared to Bo Jackson's hip injury when it happened. He, you know, the, the playbook was designed for Ryan Fitzpatrick. It was not designed for Tua. And now the playbook will be designed specifically for Tua. So I think that, you know, a lot of people are down on him after that really small sample. And I think that they've just kind of gone overboard with the negativity. And I think that, you know, I, I think that we're going to say, see him take a big leap. I mean, I just, I love the way that they've built around him. Will Fuller, you know, specifically is a guy that, can elevate the play of his quarterback. We saw that with Deshaun Watson's on-off splits when Will Fuller was or was not in the lineup. Yeah, that's a great point too. And like, first off, so last year uh, with Tua, like he like did. I don't know if I'm like a Tua guy, but like Tua like did his job last year. Like the, his job was basically don't turn the ball over, and he did not turn the ball over. And the weapons were just so bereft there. And like, you talk about Will Fuller. Will Fuller is like design. You know, two at Alabama, like all he did was sort of like 60 yard play action bomb touchdowns. Like Will Fuller, that's like the the dream player for that. And you know, there's a lot of interesting points. Two people are way too down on two, including your cousin Nick Minzio, uh, Evan. <clears throat> Denny or John, you, you yeah. guys truthing on the two yeah. train at all? I will say about the 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 deep throwing from Tua, uh, he was a very accurate and good downfield passer at Alabama. You know, like like you said, I mean, it wasn't just that he was willing to take the shots down the field. He was good at it. So there like design shots, but he executed them like all right. the time. Basically. There is re there is reason to believe that he could be good at that if he's fully recovered from the hip, if the playbook is you know more in line with his strengths rather than last year, like Evan said, with the playbook being designed for a completely different quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick. I also like him as a uh, rich man's Zach Wilson as a guy we know is going to play 17 games no matter what. The only issue, if you're talking about FFPC leagues, is that Dolphins do have their bye in week 14, and those tournaments start in week 14 this year. So uh, it gets a little gets a little hectic when you're actually planning for buys in redraft leagues, but uh, it's still a redraft league, thus you can still have him as a QB1 all the way to the playoffs and play the matchup to that point, or just have him as two QB sets with a a starter who you're going to get much earlier than him anyhow, because it still doesn't seem like the market is adjusted for him as a QB 2021. Whereas all off season right now, even in my tiers, he is the QB 17 overall. Love the first two. Uh, I had no idea who Evan would mention. Uh, and he mentioned just two really solid, like two guys that aren't getting like universal love either. Evan, like I said, never afraid to go outside the consensus and just very, very good points on both of them. We're going to bring it to running back. Evan, who do you find yourself banging the table for most often? Running? I know it's probably several players, but like, who is like the one that you just find yourself talking about the most drafting? Yeah, this, this is a good one. And I think it's looking like it's going to be Aaron Jones because right now as we speak, I'm, I have him seven running back slots higher uh, than his ADP in the FFPC main event drafts. And that gap is obviously going to narrow as the impact of the return of Aaron Rodgers sets in. But people still seem to have – some trepidation about Aaron Jones regardless. I think it's important to note that A.J. Dillon is a huge downgrade from Jamal Williams in all likelihood as a pass-catching factor. I mean, A.J. Dillon, since he came out of high school, has 23 catches combined <laughs> in all of his games, including college. Um, he had two catches last year. The Packers' offense is high-scoring and bankable. I mean, I think that they probably have a top-10 floor in terms of, uh, in terms of offensive scoring. This year, last year, they were number one. Um, I think it's probably more likely that they finish somewhere in, in between there, maybe like five or six. But, you know, a high floor, high upside. The offensive line looks good again. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers is a guy that at this stage of his career, and this happens with so many, um, you know, late career quarterbacks, Tom Brady, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, they, they, they rely so much on trust factor with the players around him. And I, and I think that Aaron Jones has earned that trust. AJ Dillon is going to have to earn that trust. Um, so I think that Aaron Jones should actually be a, a clear middle first round pick in fantasy drafts. I have a, above guys like Alvin Kamara, Kamara, Derek Henry, and Jonathan Taylor. I couldn't get there on those three, but he has my RB six overall. Uh, he's the tier breaker for me right behind the Derek Henry Kamara tier. Having said that, 
to your point about the AJ Dillon stat, which I feel like we discussed at three in the morning as well. One evening yeah. um, that or our research led us naturally the same thing, but I see Jamal Williams 35 targets, 14 routes per game vacated from last year and simply say AJ Dillon ain't getting a majority of that. That would be Aaron Jones's role. And so that's why I think his ceiling is heightened for this year, much sneakily, much more sneakily than people think. I'm triggered myself that I didn't draft Aaron Jones more when Aaron, when Aaron Rodgers' uh, status was very much in question. And now it's not possible, unfortunately, in the middle of the second round because that's where he fell. It's not. It's not. We should have said well, that's that where year. Aaron Jones, by the way, fell last year, though. Like, even yeah, when none of this was true. going on and he had an amazing – I don't understand the fantasy community's, like, hesitance on Aaron Jones. Like, a player we loved and then got the role we all wanted and there's been a top six back, back, back-to-back seasons. I – I just don't understand, like, the continued... Well, Jamal Williams was there last year, you know? He was. And, and he I mean, was, like... I mean, he's he's stolen, uh, over the past two years, almost 11 touches a game for Aaron Jones. It's just the situation is better now. Yeah. I mean, I think Aaron Jones could get to the point... You know, over the past couple of years, like, they have thrown him the ball in the end zone, like, using him as a, a true receiver at the goal line. I think that people are going to be, like, you know, worried about A.J. Dillon being the goal line back. I understand that. He's 247 pounds. But Aaron Jones is like a huge part of their red zone offense as a receiver. I think he had like 20 red zone targets in 2019. He had 10 last year. I mean, I, I think that overall in terms of receptions, he should be able to get up near 70 this season. Man, that would be like the greatest yeah. thing in that, the history of fantasy football. That's the difference maker is, is uh, I know everybody loves to dismiss, to dismiss Jamal Williams wherever he is. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, him not being there is a huge, a huge factor. And it's, and it's that pass catching that that's what gets running backs over the top, you know, uh, and, and we, we could definitely see that here. Prior to last year, also remember the Aaron Rodgers like was at the twilight end of his career, like two years of just average quarterback play. And then last year after the Jordan love pick or whatever the reason was absolute scorched earth, unstoppable 38 touchdowns, zero interceptions in the red zone last year. And so even if you're calling out regression, it's funny. I kind of just ignore the two years prior to last year. Just think, Oh, he's back. It's fine. So much so that now I'm even considering, well, if you have the number four pick overall, no matter what format, maybe you do go Devonte Adams. And then maybe like you can hope that later on, Aaron Jones would fall for whatever reason. And then you get Aaron Rodgers later. Evan, by the way, you said maybe 70 receptions for Aaron Jones. I, I feel like that would take, take the lad like stratospheric. Like you're looking yeah. at like, like a nuclear yeah. type Alvin Kamara. I mean, I, I've kind of always thought that, yeah, that, and that was the comparison I was going to make that he's sort of like, you know, he, if he were utilized in, you know, in a specific way, then he would be similar to Alvin Kamara. I mean, I mean, he's, he's a really good player and, and he's good in all facets of the game. And they could have let him walk. But instead, like yeah. and this, this, of course, is because he was the best overall player on the market in his class. But still, they brought him back for significantly more money than any other back made. Well, almost almost Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake almost got there because Gruden. But uh, Aaron Jones still got more annually. I just got to say, I've, people are probably getting tired of hearing me say this. I've said it like ad nauseum. But I feel like the only question for Aaron Jones in 2021 is we know the Packers view him as like a 1A back. They never want him to be like an 80% snap player. We know it's going to be a two-back backfield. As Evan mentioned, even though Aaron Jones has been an elite goal line back with 25 touchdowns over the past two years, if there's anywhere A.J. Dillon's going to take work, we know it's going to be early downs and maybe even near the goal line, despite Aaron Jones being so effective during the near the goal line. And we just hope that the increased receiver usage, which almost has to come for Aaron Jones, offsets – and whatever the loss is going to be on early downs in the goal. Yeah. And I think it will. I also think that Dylan's role will be to like salt away games. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Cause uh, Hey, it was the, the ultimate one game sample size was right. uh, AJ Dylan ending the Titans life in the yep. snow in green Bay. That was pretty awesome. We'll stick it running back. Uh, so we think that Aaron Jones, it sounds like we all kind of think that Aaron Jones's ADP was undercooked and will now be of course rising. Do we think a Antonio Gibson's ADP is overheated? Uh, he's all the way – he's in the RB 10 to 12 range right now. People seem to have totally memory hold the somewhat concerning comments about his toe because uh, it could be nothing. But, Evan, how do you feel – because I feel like this is one of like the flashpoint ADPs of the summer is Antonio Gibson. Do you think he's being overdrafted or is there basically – like, there's no high like Antonio Gibson can't go too high basically where are you on Antonio Gibson yeah and I love Antonio Gibson I mean this dude as a runner specifically last year and then as a uh, pass catcher the year before at Memphis just shot out of a cannon I mean he is 
an exceptional athlete. But man, I, I I've been trying to move him up, like to keep up with ADP, and like I I can't, I can't get there. I mean, I I have him at 16 overall right now in my top 150, but he's also he's like pretty much become a consensus top 12, top 13 pick at this point. And the Washington defense is going to get provide you know very uh, strong game scripts mm-hmm. for Antonio Gibson. I love watching him play, but. You know, the J.D. McKissick thing is still hanging over his head. I mean, we, we really need J.D. McKissick's role to be dialed down for Gibson to hit his ceiling. I did see that the reporters at football team practice today asked uh, Ron Rivera if Gibson might be used a little bit more receiver. He said he was open to it, uh, but, I mean, he wasn't vehement about it at all. He did say that maybe Antonio Gibson could play a little bit more on third down now that he's, like, gained a little bit of experience. But – you know that they they did bring back JD McKissick and they brought back freaking Peyton Barber too. So, you know, it, I don't know. I mean, I, I Antonio Gibson seems like a dude you would love, Benny. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Uh, Pat Crane has talked me into Antonio Gibson, so I'm I'm blaming him if it doesn't go right. But like like with Aaron Jones and and what I said about you know the pass catching role putting him over the top. It's the same thing with Gibson and, and the Washington coaching staff has, has been a little bit wishy-washy for a while there. They seem very bullish on the prospect of, of Gibson being more involved in the pass catching offense. And that would be a very natural fit for a guy who was mostly a pass, a pass catcher in college. It was the rushing part of his game that we questioned going into last year. Well, how, he's not a running back. How is he going to adjust? And he just, he adjusted beautifully. And he was he was very very good in that role, but yeah, I, we're we're going to want that JD McKissick not to be a thing, but the coaching staff is going to have to decide that. And I I would guess that McKissick will still be a thing, and that means that Gibson's ceiling is capped. I get betting on him, and I understand why Leone Corain and the rest of the echo chamber are still going above ADP on him uh, just to be a six foot, 230 pound guy who runs a four, three forty. That's incredible. But it just seems like everyone is still wish casting his pass catching role. And no one's actually like using the provided evidence and saying he just wasn't used at that last year. And that's what will make me be out on him, unfortunately, because I want to have a lot of Antonio Gibson shares, but you can't get there since he's going at the back end of the first round and at that turn being reached for, because everyone wants him over other guys who have profiled similarly, not from their BMI, or size, but like Clyde Edwards-Valier was still an elite receiving back, better than Antonio Gibson, and yet everyone is just thinking he suddenly won't play passing downs at all. Uh, when he was used as a workhorse at times last year, Antonio Gibson also only had two games of fantasy viable, like heavy production, and both of them came against the Cowboys. His next closest was against the Bengals, where he didn't exceed 100 mm-hmm. yards and still had only two catches in that game. So I st- there's a lot to worry about here, and that's why I just think his ADP is is far too high for me right now. I'll just say two things. I agree that it's wish casting, but I also understand the wish casting because of like yeah. the weird, like Benjamin Button nature of Antonio Gibson's NFL career. Because the fear last year was he would like only catch passes, mm-hmm. and instead he only ran and he caught some pass. He didn't only run; he caught about three or four passes a game the second half of the season. And you know, maybe J.D. McKissick was like a whole cloth Alex Smith creation. You know, like cause Alex Smith. You know, he's like the kind of guy who probably sat around all week. Like, here's how we get one to five targets for. JD McKissick. Then here's how we get the sixth to 10. Then here's how we get the 11 to 15 in closing time of the game. You know, so we'll find out how much that was Alex Smith. But I, I totally agree that like, I, I asked about this because I do think it's overcooked and it's too high. And my, my closing thought is, by the way, is that Denny, uh, you're fired for being in on Antonio Gibson instead of Jarrett Patterson. Like, come on, man. Like, you're supposed to be in on the guys, right. you know, that have no hope of actually contributing. Only like, bad players. You can't draft good players, Denny. Yeah, exactly. And and I'm I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable talking about Gibson. I I want to talk about Patterson, but I'm not allowed to. I'm being silenced once again. <laughs> um, yo, but you know, along the same lines, do you guys think of that Jonathan Taylor is in a similar situation almost? I mean, you know, we I don't know. I mean, how how do you compare like because because of Naheem Hines? Naheem Hines is the JD McKissick to oh, yeah. you know Jonathan Taylor's Antonio Gibson. So, and Jonathan Taylor is a guy that I think is probably being drafted with more confidence. He goes, you'll see him go as high as six overall, seven overall, but he faces a similar dilemma. Do you guys agree? Go ahead, Pat. I'm sorry, I'll get, I do, but I think the difference is, though, 
with Jonathan Taylor is that we did see him like totally take over some games. We we never saw like Antonio Gibson really like, truly like take over a game. Whereas Jonathan Taylor was drafted as the type who will take over games, and it took a while. But in the second half of the season, he really did, he took over like several games. And I think I think that is I agree with you though. It's he's being drafted at a, a very aspirational ADP. There are some tweets out there from the first half of last year that uh, com- were comparing Jonathan Taylor to Trent Richardson. So <laughs> a non they, they, they were out there. They may have been deleted. But they, but they are, they are out there. Thanks for my. I'm gonna go at yeah. Roto Pat, uh, Jonathan Taylor. That's it, it, it could absolutely come back to haunt me. But throughout the entire offseason, throughout the draft process, even, um, I had made I have made sure he was between RB 13 and 15 because I never wanted him as an RB one. Uh, I'm worried. I was worried to begin with about Carson Wentz and the entire offensive situation there. Um, we've talked about the Colts draft in the past, how I think they completely whiffed and they needed defensive players immediately after losing Danico Autry, Justin Houston, who led their positions in snaps, um, just needed coverage and pass rushers didn't get it. And Naheem Hines is still a very good player in his role. Like they're not going to leave Jonathan Taylor out there to be the pass catching back in negative game scripts, which I think they could face a lot of this year. And so uh, the Carson Wentz just sort of solidified that ranking for me by luck. Sure. But the fact is like, I didn't want Taylor to begin with in his range. And now I certainly don't want him in that range. A little, a little note from training camp as someone who just got off of news duty. Uh, the, uh, on the athletic reported that in Jacob Eason's very limited time with the first team, uh, after, you know, Wentz's injury, he has been peppering running backs, lots of checkdowns. I, I, that's not good for the offense. Okay. And I'm not saying that this makes, you know, the, the Colts a great fantasy team or whatever, but I think that's great for Heinz because Heinz will be, you know, the, it could be great for Heinz. I should say, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But it is. I think it's noteworthy that if this kid's gonna check down over and over and over again, Hines could have that. Yeah, I, I also. I've I, I read that when you know he hasn't been uh, connecting on these um, great checkdowns, the the ball has been ending up in the in the hands of the defense yeah. Yeah. Um, quite a bit. Yeah. I that. also know you were on news this morning, Diddy, because. Uh, 6 a.m. tea time. I'm out there hitting the first shot, and my phone notification goes off, and I look up, and it's a Colts kicker blurb. I was like, yep, Denny's on news right now as we speak. He, he has a name. You know, you could say Rodrigo <laughs> Blankenship. It's okay. He, he's one of the goats. He's one of the goats. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The NBC Sports Edge 2021 Draft Guide is live. It is packed with hundreds of player profiles, rankings for every format, projections, tiers, mock drafts, custom scoring, ADP trend reports, and more. It has been updated to reflect all the most recent breaking news, including Carson Wentz's surgery. Wentz is off the board. We've also have updated to reflect Devontae Smith and Marquise Brown's injury situations. We're 20% off the guide and an annual subscription to NBC Sports Edge. Use promo code FBPOD20. That is FBPOD20 for 20% off at NBCSportsEdge.com slash win. Did you guys all get those little NBC Sports uh, mugs, the little um, mm-hmm. metal mugs? God, they're, awesome. they're, I, yeah. I brought this in the house the other day and someone was like, you got to get me one of those, Daigle. <laughs> that can be arranged. That can be arranged easily. Uh, yeah. Evan is an honored person. 
at this group we, we, that can be arranged i got it and and my wife said uh why do they give you a wine a to-go wine thing i said it's not it's not it's for coffee or tea or whatever she said, no it's wine i said this is this is an issue you know this is this is your issue that it's, you think that's wine. we want you getting drunk on the show is why um, everybody does just to be frank um <laughs> you know i i so i, I did the promo read because the draft guide is a very important thing but it it cost us a beautiful potential transition because Evan or someone mentioned Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And I wanted to ask about Clyde Edwards Hilaire. People uh, having no trouble going back to the Clyde Edwards Hilaire uh, well this summer. I witnessed a Kyle Dvorak Davis Maddock bidding war over him in our salary cap mock draft last week. I believe it went, it went up to 46 to Kyle Dvorak. Wow. You have to really spend to beat, to beat Davis Maddock at a. I just want to, before we get still with spin on CH, I just want to say though, like that's more of a Davis Maddock and John Daigle thing. Um, I would say consensus is still completely out on CEH as much as I'm trying to move the needle. Everyone's jumping the gun and going elsewhere to JT to Antonio Gibson. Everyone is out all because they saw one Island national primetime game where he got five goal line carries and couldn't score. And thus that is burnt into their brains for the rest of time that he can't score touchdowns a year ago. A full year? The height of the pandemic. Everyone's locked down. We finally get football after no training camp. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire gets seven carries inside the 10. He doesn't score, and now everyone thinks he sucks forever. Yeah. It was the height of the pandemic, and the Chiefs had about 30,000 people in yeah. that stadium. I remember, that. Uh, I remember that. Remember that. That was good times. But, yeah, so <laughs> CEH, I mean, oh, he's not Not everyone's out. I'm just, he's up to RB14. He's almost back in the RB1 mix. Evan, uh, issue your verdict on CEH. Is this are we going to get burned again? I, I don't. I don't have a strong one because I'm like right in line with ADP, like literally to the T in terms of my ranking. So, you know, I mean, it, it's you're betting on the Chiefs' offense. You know, theoretically, you can't go wrong doing that. You know, are they going to continue to mix in Daryl Williams? Daryl Williams played more snaps than Clyde Edwards-Helaire did the, in the Super Bowl. I know that Clyde Edwards-Helaire was a little bit banged up. But I mean, he was he was out there, and Daryl Williams was playing. The mentor was playing more than was Ceh. They signed up Jarek McKinnon, Ugh. you know, who I mean, he's probably a good third string RB. Um, you is know, and he? a guy that a guy that can play in is he uh, a guy that can play in the passing game, and that's see that that that's where Ceh was disappointing last year because you know he broke all these records at LSU. He had well, like he had a million catches. That, that one year with Joe Burrow when they won the national championship. And then, you know, you, you, he really wasn't used creatively as a receiver at all. Um, you know, we were anticipating would he be, you know, Andy Reid is like famous for dialing up great screen, like screen game to his RBs, Brian Westbrook, LaShawn McCoy. We didn't really see that from CEH. You know, we didn't really see him lining up and making plays in the slot or anything like that. Maybe that had to do with the lack of practice time due to the pandemic. Um, they just were. They just didn't. They decided not to install that kind of stuff, um, and maybe now they will. But um, you know, Daryl Williams is is a superior pass blocker. McKinnon can catch passes, and Patrick Mahomes is not a checkdown quarterback. I mean, that that I think is another issue that we don't talk about very much. He's not, you know, he's 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 not going to love dumping down to Clyde Edwards-Helaire when he can throw you know fifty yards downfield to Tyreek Hill or you know maybe Miko Hardman a little bit this year. I. I don't know. I yeah, I'm, I'm riding the fence here, Denny. T- t- take it away. Davis yeah, that, also drafted me, Cole. By the way, you go. Of Denny. course he did. Of course he did. Yeah, he's that's his brand. Uh, you know the that's the issue I'm having here is that uh, everything from Chiefs camp and even in OTAs was that the Chiefs are trying to cultivate a better intermediate passing game that would suffice when Travis Kelsey and or Tyreek Hill are covered downfield. That, you know that's how partly how the Bucks shut down the chiefs last year that along with constant pressure in Mahomes' face but you know they they you know they keep mentioning beat writers keep mentioning uh, ceh as part as a bigger part of the passing attack and then noah gray the rookie tight end as a part of that intermediate uh passing game but it just runs into the the the, the face of patrick mahomes not wanting to settle because he has supreme confidence as he should that he can make any throw that a human can make and so, you know, we're just not going to see him take those easy dump offs unless, you know, unless he really is just forced to by the coaching staff. And that probably is not great. You know, we probably don't really want that no. as, as, as fantasy managers. But the, the plan is really to get CEH more involved in the passing game. 
That's my argument for CEH over Gibson, which no one's doing. I get it. Uh, but like, if you're just going to wish cast a running back, why don't you do it around later? Just wait for CEH because that's where he's going anyhow. Um, and we know, like Silva said, that was his strength in college. Thus, like it would make sense they use him more there, although they did use the mentor for more third down snaps last year. Anytime they were in the two-minute drill as well, uh, Darrell Williams was on the field, oddly enough. So uh, it, it's a conundrum. It's an issue, sure. But I don't know. Like, uh, I'm still believe that just all those things wrapped into one, he is basically just smaller Antonio Gibson. So why isn't everyone slightly higher on over running backs that we are worried about their offenses and we're not worried about the Chiefs offense? Are, are, are we worried about this with Clyde edwards Hilaire? I mean, the dude is real small. Mm-hmm. He ran, you know, 4-6 coming out. You know, he, uh, man, he, you know, kind of everybody elevated each other in that LSU offense. Are we worried that he just might not be that good? At all, but he's just a butter churner with like yeah. those small legs. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> butter churner. <laughs> I don't. I I'm not worried about that. Like I, yeah. I can cite the first round pedigree, but also we know they used that last pick that won us all a lot of money for the first running back taken because they like they thought they were in luxury. They thought they had everything yes. figured out, and yeah. it turns out they did not have the offensive line figured out at all. But, like, they genuinely thought they could use it on anybody. Patrick Mahomes requested Edwards Lair receiving back, and that's who they got. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's a double-edged sword. You think you're making a luxury pick, and next thing you know, you got Le'Veon Bell on a private jet. Coming like, <laughs> and you got Vita Vey laying on top of you for three yeah. quarters out of four. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I, yeah that, what a, I mean, in hindsight, even – no, no, no. Not in hindsight. At the time. That was a bad pick. Terrible. Yeah. I mean, it was just the classic. It was, that's how we spot. It was a luxury pick. And for a luxury pick to work though, you got to do some cool stuff. It, it, it was devastating as, as, as someone who thought the chiefs understood the analytics of the position of roster creation for them to take Edward Slayer and the e I'm sorry. And as a coach too. And Andy Reid in the world what was that? Who, Andy Reid, like throughout his career, has found like three or four amazing like day two running backs. Yes. Man, it was just I I do think there's an interesting discussion to be had though because yes, Patrick Mahomes doesn't check down. I don't think that's the way the offense is built or that he has a big arm. It's also the fact that he evades oncoming pass rushers much easily than other quarterbacks. Thus, he has more time to throw downfield. But also. The opposing defenses did run a league high of high safety against them. That's why they didn't throw deep. And the second half of the season you saw, which is what led me to now have Tyreek Hill as my number one overall receiver over Devontae Adams, because they started using Tyreek Hill the last eight games in the slot, other positions, and just force feeding him underneath. His dot decreased in that span, and they just jammed him targets. And so – do defenses go back to that and thus maybe there are more underneath targets for Clyde edwards as well? Or do they just say, screw it, and you just let them throw deep this year, which maybe would lead to Davis Maddox's own Nicole Hardman? I don't know. Uh, the Chiefs off, it's interesting because you know they're going to blow up no matter what. But like there are now sudden like caveats without Sammy Watkins taking up reps there that the targets have to go elsewhere. All right. We've, we'll put a bow on our controversial running backs. Very, very good discussion Evan, who are you evangelizing at wide receiver? Who is your, your flagship wideout for 2021? Well, it's Tyler Lockett for the fourth straight year. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that Reeves, uh, Rich Rebar, who you know worked at Roto World for, I don't know, five years or something like that. Never heard of him. <laughs> um, <laughs> he has done a great job of pointing out at, at Sharp Football Analysis um, – how proficient and um, propense Russell Wilson is to just throwing the ball downfield and throwing the ball into the end zone and how efficient he is and that how and how that trickles down to you know DK Metcalf like leading the NFL in end zone targets and you know Tyler Lockett getting you know efficient downfield uh, conversions and last year Tyler Lockett caught a hundred passes and and the 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 target distribution in Seattle is defined and narrow. I mean, you you might think that Dwayne Eskridge, you know, the twenty five year old converted defense. Hey, he's back. only twenty four. Come on, man. No, he's twenty five. Well, he's gonna be twenty five tomorrow. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, never had even eight hundred receiving yards in his six year college career. You, you might think that he's gonna come in and be like a role player. They, you know, they they did add Gerald Everett, you know, but those guys are like a, a tier or maybe multiple tiers below DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in the target pecking order in Seattle. And each of the last three years, Tyler Lockett has been a top 15 fantasy receiver. 
he's still his ADP is like around wide receiver 22. I have him definitively in the top 15. Actually, I think I have him wide receiver 13 right mm-hmm. now. And I'm just going to keep going back to that well because it's been paying off. And at some point, it, it won't pay off, but I don't think this is going to be the year. I think Seattle – I'm excited about Seattle's offense this year, which under under Shane Waldron, they might not throw at the, the same you know, passing rate that they did in the first half of last year. I think they're going to play a lot faster, and, um, and they're just going to have more opportunities on offense. I think they're going to be really good on offense. I also love the addition of uh, Gabe Jackson. Uh, at right guard, a, a really strong pass blocking guard. I think their offensive line is going to be the best that it's been in the last uh, several years. And I think Tyler Lockett is going to eat again. He is being discounted despite the fact he scored just six fewer points than DK Metcalf, all because it wasn't as consistent weekly as Metcalf. But who cares when he got to that number because he literally won your league for you. He won your week three times last year. Mm -hmm. And that's all that matters for these fantasy players. You're looking for spike weeks. That's what Tyler Lockett delivers, plus uh, a little bit less. Everyone also continues to cite the second half of the season for the second year in a row, by the way, when something happened, just a variable that got in the way. But again, I just keep going back to what if it doesn't happen? It's, it's not guaranteed. It's not written in law. It's the second commandment that Tyre Lockett, thou shall be bad in the second half of the season. Just things happen. No big deal. So, yes, I continue going back to the well as well. I, I wasn't aware uh, we were getting religious on the podcast. No but, politics. Uh, sorry. Yeah. And no religion. I mean, that's all. It's a simple request. But uh, I've said it before. I'll say, I'll say it again. If, if Tyler Lockett's 2020 season was flipped on its head, you know, if he struggled mightily in the first half and blew up in the second half, he would definitely be going as wide receiver 15 or even something like 12 right now uh, because of people's, you know, memories, short-term memory. They remember, they remember how terrible it was last year to not be able to confidently start Tyler Lockett in the last eight weeks of the season where, whereas before, you know, like John said, he was winning your weeks. I mean, you, you, you just, he was exploding. He could cover up for your entire lineup for, for some of those weeks. For so, like two of um, them. A three. It's a 13 week season. Well, how many players uh, can you say that? Right. I was just saying, it is, it's the Keenan Allen disease with Tyler Lockett, where it's just like it's all about the sequencing. And sequencing with 16 games is probably just total randomness, total noise. So I, I agree, you can't like draft based on that at all. No. You do have to go back to it. But that is why he, this is like, because man, this used to be the deal with Keenan Allen. He would have like two or three 150 yard games a season, and then he'd have like, like 14. 50-yard games. Keenan Allen was cured of Keenan Allen disease last year, though. It was extremely consistent, finally, every game. So, like, it happens. It's just it's just basically math randomness and sequencing randomness with players like Tyler Lockett, and you have to somehow find a way to get over it. And But there also needs to be some context added because he did battle that shin injury mm-hmm. late in the year, number one. Number two, Russell Wilson, like, kind of – you remember he had MVP he going away for, like, 10 to 12 weeks. And then he kind of sucked. I mean, let, let's be yeah. real, down, you know, down the stretch. And and Pete Carroll was trying to take the air out of the ball. So it yeah. was like three factors working against Tyler Lockett. And, I mean, I, and, I don't know. I think they're mostly for, forgivable. And the year prior, remember, he got the flu in the second half of the season. He lost like 10 to 20 pounds. And that's why he even said, like, I just couldn't move at all. So, like, there, there are – there's evidence. There's reasons why these things are happening, which is much better than just saying, like, oh, well, like, this is going to happen again because we don't know why. No, that, it's just going to happen again, guys. I appreciate that Pat uh, broke the news here that the uh, universe is random. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, thank, you you, thank you for being yeah, here. Yeah, that's right. You made an important. But the Seahawks has had an identity crisis in the second, including Russell Wilson. You can't blame it on the coaching staff. They all kind of like lost their nerve last year following that mid-season Russell Wilson interceptions binge. You know, like th- that's going to be fixed for this year. The, the offense is going to be back in good working order. Mm-hmm. Like we just got to get over it, including myself with Tyler Lockett. Don't hunt. Don't search. Uh, <laughs> Control F Tyler Lockett in the NBC Sports Edge Slack game day chats Um, i will i will it's uh, it's bad so we got we got evan's uh, flagship wide receiver out there evan not including jamar chase which rookie wide receiver if any do you think is most likely to have a justin jefferson type season or is there no one you see like that or is it just is it only jamar chase who are you most bullish on um, you know, I I was gonna say Devonte Smith, 
but I know, man. I don't like this injury, and I, I know everybody's like, "Oh, the Eagles aren't worried." The Eagles are. Oh, no. yeah, you're you're. The Eagles are never worried about anything. Up for, uh, <laughs> just suffered, you know, a debilitating knee injury is going to be out for his entire rookie training camp, and the Eagles aren't concerned. You know, I mean, how many people had to tweet that today? I mean, <laughs> so many people tweeted. It was a lot. Like, and the only guy who stepped up and said anything was Jeff McLean, who's covered the Eagles forever. He's like, you know, in my opinion, the Eagles are concerned about this, you know, like, or yeah. they should be concerned. I was, I was expecting someone to tweet out something like, you know, the Eagles say this is actually good. For yeah, right. I mean, it got to that point. Yeah, right. Being able to watch they from the sidelines this. for his for the entire month of August will be good for him. Just watch. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I I'll tell you what. Go, going back to the uh, the Matt Harmon podcast though uh, on Establish the Run, okay. he made, laid out a hell of a case for Rashad Bateman, and um, I know Corrine has been on him too. And the first thing that you think about with the Ravens is, well, you know, they I think they finished thirty second in or in pass attempts in each of the last two years. So where's the volume going to come from? You got Mark Andrews there. He's probably going to hog touchdowns. You know, Marquise Brown is entering his third year. He should, I mean, he did improve from year one to year two, maybe not as much as people, you know, were hoping, but, you know, I, I think the arrow should continue to go up for him, but I don't know. He, he thought that, I mean, Harmon went as far as to compare the impact that Rashad Bateman could have on uh, Baltimore's offense to what Jefferson did in Minneapolis or Minnesota last year, which was a hell of a, a hell of a thing to say. Um, but he loves Rashad Bateman. I, and I get it with Rashad Bateman. Um, Rashad Bateman can play inside and out. You know, he's that, a, that's a guy that's, is. That really is, that is going to be able to move around the formation and um, he's, he catches everything. Um but you know, it's it's it's. I, I understand how you you have to sort of squint to to make it work in that in that particular offense, just because of the structure of the offense. He's Marquee, better than Willie Sneed. I do know that. Marquise <laughs> Brown. Marquise Brown suffered a, a hamstring injury that the team now believes is is way worse than originally thought. So uh, Brown could miss significant time in training camp. I think that you know that it can't be bad for Bateman uh, in in his development. So yeah, Rashad Bateman, folks, he's gonna be good. Uh, Evan, you should you should just get there. Just just get there. Don't worry about it. Do we, by the way, so Evan, I'm gonna take just people. Just get there. Just make it happen. Yeah, just make it happen. Make I it will. happen. I, I don't will. care how you do it. I don't care what assets you employ. Just fix this. <laughs> fix this. Um, I'm trying to get into like Jason Bourne speak. And I couldn't think of enough jokes there. Uh, I'll take people behind the curtain a little bit. Uh, Evan and I are in a dynasty league together. Denny Carter used to be in this dynasty league. And then you were supposedly like dialing back on fantasy and quit the league or something. I haven't really noticed that at all. There was a miscommunication Um, with that. I was (laughs) dialing back on dynasty completely because I don't like dynasty. But uh, yeah, that's that's a stunning admission. Anyways, I'm the commissioner. Uh, We were supposed to cut down to 24 players by Friday. Neither Evan or I, neither Evan nor I have done that actually. And uh, I own I, I roster Marquez Callaway and Traquan Smith. Evan, are, are, are you bothering drafting any Saints wide? Not, I guess you are. What Saints wide receivers are you prioritizing in this kind of cluster? You know what of a situation well, in the Saints offense? I, I had heard um, I'm good buddies with Nick Underhill. You know the uh, the Saints beat yes, writers, excellent and, and, Saints beat writer. Yeah. And and he told me that uh, it was going to be Traquan Smith, but before the Michael Thomas injury, that they really anticipated taking a leap. This year, now, Traquan Smith has been in the league for, you know, three full years, and he really hasn't done a whole lot. No, you know, done nothing. Um, he does. He does have a history of playing in the slot, and then outside, and so I think that he's the most natural fit to just jump into the Michael Thomas role. But man, this—I wonder how many touchdowns the Saints are going to score this year. I wonder how good they're going to be on offense. And, and this is a team that you know, Sean Payton, best offensive line in the league. I just I think this quarterback situation is going to be um, not not a whole lot of fun. I think they're both going to get out there and play, and it's going to be like musical chairs at quarterback, and maybe they'll play both of them in the same game. And you know, Jameis starts; he's playing well. They pull him out in the you know in the red zone for Taysom, and um, you know, so I I don't know. I have Trey Smith wide receiver forty seven, Marcus Callaway wide receiver sixty. Too high, too high. I'm I mean, kidding. those I guys know. are pretty late, late you know. I'm just kidding. 
I also wonder if uh if like what we cite the Michael Thomas role is because it's Michael Thomas out there doing it as well, opposed sure. to yeah putting Traquan Smith out there and telling him to do it. Um, right. But also double-edged sword because Traquan Smith has never played with a big arm like James Winston. So maybe he's a completely uh, different player as well right. and used differently. I keep going back to the fact that Callaway like look good. Hey, by the it, way, Jameis looks good, dude. I mean, is that what you're hearing? His, That's what I'm reading on beat. His physical conditioning. I, I I don't know how he's playing, but his physical conditioning. I mean, he <laughs> he like he transformed. I know we we kind of hear that like every year, but um, I mean, he looks truly different. He looks really good. Yeah, he's, not, go he's skinny, Jameis. Now like, we, we he's, say he's skinny. He's straight up yeah. skinny. Yeah, with LASIK. With twenty twenty vision, he's got the oh, eyes wow. and he's got the body Look, now. He's eating salad. He he can see. <laughs> yeah, these, these are this is great for a quarterback. I, those, I'll just adjust I'll, the ranks. I was just going to quickly say, uh, since we don't know, it's just the fact that Callaway is still going like in the last rounds, and so that's who I'm taking just a shot on. Since we have seen Traquan Smith fell in this role before, so I'll just take the discount. Whatever. I just had a troubling thought, by the way, where Evan was talking about them struggling to score touchdowns. I just had visions of the 2020 Patriots. It won't be quite that dire when you have Alvin Kamara, like someone who can finish drives. Uh, actually. Yeah, someone smart made that same comparison the other day. So yeah. you, I don't know if you stole it from that, from them, oh, but I don't like that. No, I didn't. I didn't. I don't, like I don't follow anyone smart on Twitter really. Okay. Um, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Hear the Olympics. Like you have never heard them before with the podium and NBC Olympics podcast. Follow along with host Lauren Shihadi as we bring you deep into the stories and behind the curtains each day during the Tokyo Games. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Evan, are, are you bothering with having a signature tight end? Or uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Who, who, <laughs> oh, yeah. Lay it on us. Lay it on us. Tyler Higby, man. I mean, oh, it's, this is the year. You know, they, everybody thought it was supposed to be last year. No. Mm-hmm. Tyler Higby. Um, I think that Matthew Stafford can take the, the Sean McVay passing offense to another level. They're going to have to throw more, I think. Post Cam Akers, Gerald Everett leaving Seattle frees up Tyler, Tyler Higby for a nearly every down roll. I do think that we have to watch in training camp uh, uh, and, and in and actual preseason games what, assuming these guys, the, the first stringers, actually McVay has a history of, uh, of not using his first stringers in the preseason. But I, I, I want to see who the number two tight end is because Josh Norris was trying to hype up the uh, the Jake converted. Harris. Uh, yeah, Jacob Harris. I mean, Josh Norris. There's so many tweets about Jacob Harris. <laughs> it's, it's, it's started to get painful. He's fired. He's fired. After all, after all the victory lapping and all that. I mean, he he had you know a unique offseason. I'll, I'll say that about Josh Norris. He did. Um, you can say that. Uh, but he's already injured. And then, uh, but Bryson Hopkins, who I thought was a pretty good prospect coming out of college, they made him a fourth round pick in, in 2020. I want to see, you know, ha- has he taken a, a step forward? And then is Johnny Munt back? I don't know. This Johnny Munt guy will pop up and play, you know, 30 or 40% of the snaps. He's just a primary day. blocker though, right? Like I know, he only blocks, I yeah. He's one of those guys, the Rams, he's just like a Madden created guy that pops up in the third or fourth season of a franchise. Yeah. Don't worry yeah. about him too with, with, the, with the silent D. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, how do you pronounce it? Mundet. I don't know. <laughs> Denny is German now. Uh, right. <laughs> I think I, didn't speak. I just spoke German. Yeah, it's funny when people swear off Tyler Higby because of last year. And I, and I get that because that last year stunk to have Tyler mm-hmm. Higby on your team. But, you know, they're acting like he has any real competition for, for pass routes or targets in that offense. Uh, and, and he doesn't. He doesn't, and and if he does, if somebody else like the guys that, that Evan just named emerges as a as a, someone who splits time with him, then he really was never that good to begin with, I guess. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna bet on him. I he's going what tight end 10, 9, something like that. Uh, I I love his ADP. I kind of can't stop drafting him in best ball. Yeah, I have him at tight end seven. I just wanted to say uh, I, I I got into an argument one time with Dwayne McFarland about uh, Tyler Higby. And um, I think he wound up being right. Uh, but I was talking to him the other day, and we we both – he's huge on Tyler Higby. He's like a big-time high-stakes player too. He's so good at analyzing like utilization. He does this utilization report. is very, very comprehensive and, and in-depth. And he was – he said he's all the way in. He even compared him – well, you remember that run that he had at the end? There was like a five-game run, no drill, whatever it. Like yeah. 80% 20, of his career production. Gronk right. run, yeah. Yeah. But, man. I mean, he looked like Travis Kelsey out there. Like he, 
he I I mean I he played wide receiver at, at Western Kentucky. I mean he is he's a legit he's legit really really good. It's just a u- matter of, of usage and are they going to force the ball to him? And that's kind of what I'm banking on. But go ahead, Daigle. Sorry. No, I was just going to say uh, one. I've heard some very smart people use like the stat that Tyler Higby led his position in run blocking snaps last year. But I just think it varies. Like it differs because it's obviously Matthew Stafford who can make things happen, whereas Jared Goff could not. Thus, they had to keep Tyler Higby glued in line. And so that number to me doesn't matter, which by the way, that's become now a Silva Manor thing where uh, I have become a nihilist all of a sudden and just don't think anything matters. People talk about Noah Gray and AJ Green like you're actually drafting them like they matter. Don't matter at all. Also, two, we are seeing this with the I'm probably going to have to duck after this. We're seeing this with Bills players, like we saw with Lamar Jackson and Tyler Higby last year, where everyone gets excited to draft them at their peak, but that's just wrong. Like, why are you drafting these players at their peak? Like, this is the year to take the discount that you should have got on Tyler Higby last year because of those five games. And so it just makes sense now to draft him after he was coveted much earlier last year. What you're saying, John, is that Josh Allen is actually bad, right? Wow. No, we're not. That's a, that's a bold statement. No, mm-hmm. I'm going to go yeah, away. Now. Yeah, just said he's bad. I mean, even I admit that he's good now. I mean, tweet come that. On, man. Tweet that. <laughs> I'm not. This is not the randomizer. I'm absolutely not tweeting that. <laughs> we're halfway done with our show. Uh, <laughs> the second half of the show, Denny, who's your flagship kicker? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Yes, it's Matt Prater. We are, we are in on Matt Prater now the kicker for Arizona. So, you know, uh, Cliff Kingsbury is, many have called him a fake sharp. uh, And uh, I can't disagree. You know, he (laughs) kicks a lot of field goals in scoring range, although he did actually shift that last year. So 2019, it was ridiculous. Okay. You remember, uh, who who was it that year for the, was it, it wasn't Catman. It was uh, somebody else. Uh, Anyway, the, the, oh, Zane Gonzalez in 2019. What was, was, you know, a dozen points over everybody else uh, in fantasy in, in, among kickers because because of that propensity to kick field goals um, when they should have gone for touchdowns. That shifted a little bit, but Prater should should get plenty of neutral and positive game script. Uh, has a big leg. Not that that matters. We're not drafting kickers because they can kick long field goals. Just let me be clear on that. But I I, I really do I I like him after the elite tier. Unless Silva actually has a kicker take, I'm going to assume no, because the tiers do not involve that. I don't even know what kickers kick for what teams anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Denny, I just want you to explain why Young-Hoku is vastly overrated as the number one overall kicker who everyone continues taking, because that's the only take I know. I don't know any other kicker takes. I am. uh, I'm I'm happy to do that. And thank you for asking. You, you guys have about 15 minutes, right? Yeah, no, so we're only at the halfway point of the show. The second half right. is an hour of kicker talk. It's just you. talking about young way Koo. So yeah, uh, uh, Koo uh, got lucky, got fortunate last year. He 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 converted. Made his own luck. Made his own luck. His, <laughs> he did, he, and he works out. You know, you see him on Twitter every day. He's doing some sort of a new inventive workout. Very high T kicker. You know, but uh, <laughs> it, we, we can't we can't bank on him uh, getting all those field goal attempts once again. You know, uh, Arthur Smith is a pretty aggressive play caller. I don't see him settling for a bunch of field goals in the red zone like the Falcons did last year. So the the attempts I don't think are going to be there for him to justify his ADP, which is, you know, like kind of what Justin Tucker's used to be, where people would take Tucker like four rounds, five rounds before the end of the draft just to secure the best the best kicker. Uh, don't do that with Coop. Young way had some yeah. like... I, I hear you applauding, you know, Young, who's, um, you know, the, the way that he looks and his, his workout regimen and all that. I, I've always had a special place in my heart for the fat kickers, you know, and I, I think we need to bring those guys back um, and, yeah. and make the make the kicker position great again with um, some true, some fat kickers. Right. Fat kickers are persecuted class. There aren't many of really, them left. They're, they're, they really yeah, no, they've all gotten into into amazing shape. It's like golfers, you, you know, know you, vegetables yeah. every every golfer used to have a spare tire. And and now now they're cut up. You see, Rory McIlroy looks like he's a bodybuilder. It, it's it's freakish. It's a shame. Like it. It's a even shame. Phil Phil Mickelson like totally remade yes. his body and won a major. Yeah. Like, come on, dude. What is? Yeah, you're making us feel bad as as dads. Well, that does it for an amazing show today, Evan. You lived up to my very high expectations and more. Uh, just yeah, loved the takes. Loved having you back on the show. Uh, yeah, you, you have good. any party? 
you have any parting thoughts or what, what do you got going? What do you got cooking and establish the run? No, just trying to finish these team previews. I got like three left. You know, the, it's the the worst ones, you know, the the, the Texans, you know, like that. <laughs> I just have no uh, inspiration to want to write about the Texans right now. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to trying to trying to uh, finish those up. But thanks so much, guys, for having me. It was good. Keep carrying the torch and, and keep uh, Roto World going strong. Yeah, ETR fully worth the subscription just an amazing site an amazing resource so check out establish the run.com uh, we got a lot of stuff going up on the site this week check out the draft guide uh, if you're looking by the way if you're looking for a unique fantasy football experience travel to canton ohio in two weekends the weekend of august 14th to 15th for the fantasy football expo having drafts parties like kind of like a fantasy football convention nbc is going to be there in full force so check it out fantasy football expo dot com evan uh we love you thank you so much for making us slightly less bad at our jobs and teaching uh, me everything i know and uh yeah we'll, we'll, we'll catch you later this summer sweet the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.